Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Mother. We spend all our time here. I want to make a paradise. She redid all of it. Every last detail. And she breathed life back into every room. Are you happy? I love you. Come in. Hello. Hello. He's a stranger. We're just gonna let him sleep in our house. Hello. Hello. Did you know he had a wife? All right, everyone. You were just listening to the trailer for Mother, and the story is as follows. A couple's relationship is tested when uninvited guests arrive at their home, disrupting their tranquil existence. From filmmaker Darren Aronofsky, who gave us Black Swan and Requiem for a Dream, Mother stars Jennifer Lawrence, Javier Bardem, Ed Harris, and Michelle Pfeiffer in this riveting psychological thriller about love, devotion, and sacrifice. That is the official synopsis for Mother, and I can tell you right now, Our review is going to be probably just as vague, but if you want to stay tuned for some spoilers, myself and my co-host here definitely have them for you. Join me for this review. I have Matthew Garrell. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Matthew, I just got back from this, and I don't know if it's about the Bible, if it's about the destruction of the planet Earth, if it's about Aronofsky's failed marriage to Rachel Weiss, is it all three? What in God's name are we to make of this? This is nuts. (laughs) (laughs) So let me start out by saying that it is my opinion that this movie is a two-hour mental breakdown that grabs your attention from moment one and never lets go. It's been more than 24 hours since I saw the film, and it still has itself wrapped around my brain like a lamprey eel. This movie is insane, (laughs) and I love it. Now, here's a funny thing thing i i understand i think darren aronofsky has said that he wrote this pretty quickly like he just had like a spark of inspiration and just started writing this thing and he like crammed it out very quick and it did revisions here and there and primarily speaking this is a story 
a lot about creation, as it were. In fact, one could say it's the ultimate story of creation. <laughs> um, creation, death, rebirth, um, it, it, it's a lot of things, to say the least. I, I, I almost don't know how to tackle the themes of this film without getting into uh, spoilers. Um, suffice to say, this is a movie where there's going to be a lot of different interpretations. And also, too... Not all of them are going to be positive, which, you know, I've been reading a lot online um, since this film screamed for the first time. And I can tell you, Matthew, people really hate this movie. Like, they uh, think it's the yeah. worst movie of the century. I have talked to a couple of such people in the last 24 hours. I can't blame them. I can't really either. I mean, I, I look at some of the negative critiques and I don't entirely agree with them, but there are others that I've seen that I think, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I don't necessarily agree with those arguments, but I, I get why they make sense to these people. There's one moment in the movie near the end of the film where I could fully understand. I, I can totally, I totally get it. If that one moment just everything else that you thought was okay about the movie, if you thought it had great sound, which it does, if you thought it had great cinematography, which it does, if you thought it had great performances, which it does, this one moment, literally, you forget about all of that. It, it, it's all gone. It, 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 you just think about this one moment that happens, and it's horrible, it's sick, it's frightening. It made me jump out of my seat. My mouth dropped wide open. My hands flew up in the air, and I was frozen. I, I couldn't believe what I had just seen. And let me tell you something. I'm a hardened uh, you know, movie reviewer. I'm somebody who doesn't get phased by anything. And what this took me back to, Matthew, was it took me back to my teenage years when I saw such horrific and sickening things in films such as not surprisingly, Requiem for a Dream, and also something like uh, Train Spotting. This is a movie where I feel like a younger generation of today, and we're not talking that much younger, we're talking maybe like a decade younger, let's say in my case, this is going to be uh, what Requiem for a Dream was for me back then, this is going to be uh, that movie for them, I feel like. So is the moment you're talking about, we'll just say where a character gets beat up? Uh, you're not that part. Okay. There's another part. Okay, uh, I, okay. If it's the one I think that you're thinking of, it did, that part didn't phase me. The part that actually did phase me is the beating up because it is done in such visceral terms and in such close-up cinematography that I was very much unnerved by it. And I'm like you. I'm not unnerved that easily. Well, let me talk about that for a second, actually. Uh, Matthew Lipatique, the cinematographer on this film here, there is a distinct choice that I recognized very early on in the film, and I'm sure many people picked up on it as well, where there is no wide shots of Jennifer Lawrence when you're seeing her face. Every single time you see her face, it is an extreme close-up. And for me, I, like, I get why that would bother people because you're so used to wide shots, especially for establishing. 
for me, I liked it because I and I picked up on it from very early on as well. It helps add to the to the well dread and creepiness, the chaos, of the, the whole experience. To, yeah, chaos, claustrophobia. Yeah, it, it draws you in so close, both literally and metaphorically, that you're constantly left wondering, okay, what the heck's going to happen next? I mean, like I said, it grabbed my attention from the very beginning because it instilled in me this immediate sense of dread and it just kept building and building and building and had occasional moments of calm to help me rest up a little bit. But then when it amped up again, it was very intense and very creepy. Not a spoiler uh, per se here, but when you talk about those moments of calm, I I did notice that... She drinks this um, curious yellow liquid, and I know we're not supposed to understand exactly what that means, and it's supposed to probably have its own interpretation. Um, without being too spoilerific, um, did you have any kind of an interpretation of what you thought that uh, yellow liquid was that she would drink at times when she was under uh, distress? I had two different possibilities. I, at first, I thought it was because uh, it seems to have a calming effect on her. So I thought, okay, maybe it's some form of like not antidepressant, but psychotropic medication that's designed to calm uh, a person who's under distress. But then I kind of also wondered if maybe it's a fertility thing because that's one of the subplots in this movie is involving fertility and and wanting children. And so I was like, okay, maybe is it that? And especially because she tosses it out after a certain bit of information happens to her. So, uh, yeah, I'm not entirely sure, but that's just a couple of guesses that I have. But you see, it's things like this. People are going to be talking about this movie for a very, very long time. And try as hard as some people who... I Like I said, I understand the people that don't like this movie. I understand their arguments. I may not agree with them, but I understand them. I'm not trying to convince them that this is some sort of a masterpiece and that they should like it. What I'm going to say to them is that this movie is never going away. This movie is a film that's always going to be talked about by people for years to come. I mean, it is as if... Darren Aronofsky took every bit of his oeuvre and every bit of thematic material that he loves to cover in his films, at least the the more artsy ones, and put them all together in one thing and basically said, I dare you, come at me because this movie is going to make you talk, make you think, make you be angry, make you be sad, make you be scared, and every emotion in between. He said at the uh, New York premiere at the end of the screening, um, you know, right before it began, actually, right right before it began, he said, uh, in two hours, you're all going to hate me. (laughs) (laughs) And he's not wrong. You know, I mean, what's amazing to me about Darren Aronofsky, the filmmaker, is that every single one of his movies has an underlying theme. and, And it's a common theme that they all share. Every one of his films deals with two things. Pain and obsession. Okay. Every single one of his films deals with some form of pain or obsession. And or, rather. And Mother is absolutely no different. It is an exploration of pain. And you can look at this in so many different ways. So many. Um, But really what it's coming down to is it's the pain that one feels um, over how we have become 
as a human species in terms of how we treat each other, how we treat the earth that we live upon, and how we treat, if we believe in religion, the God that we worship. Because this is probably not what God intended for us. Um, You can look at it so many different ways, but that's the pain part. The obsession piece of Mother is really with Javier Bardem and his creative drive and his uh, obsession to want to be loved and admired by his followers and uh, worshipers and fans and whatever title you want to call them. So much so that I couldn't help but think to myself, is Javier Bardem meant to be a stand-in for Darren Aronofsky himself? And this is a story about how Darren Aronofsky was suffering from writer's block. He couldn't necessarily make a new movie the way he wanted to, but he has all these fans, all these crazy rabid fans out there who adore him and they love him and they want everything for him. But as an artist and as somebody who's very creative as he is, you know, enough is just not enough. And his marriage to Rachel Weiss might have suffered for it. I mean, granted, I'm, 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 I'm probably making stuff up. I don't really know what happened between them. All I know is that they were together. They split up and got divorced. And Rachel Weisz is now fucking James Bond. So, hey, you know what? Darren Aronofsky got uh, Jennifer Lawrence in the end, I guess. So go figure. But bottom line is, you know, there's a lot of that here where it's an artist's obsession that draws um, his um, his his spouse to want to leave him. And... He can't seem to live without her because she's his inspiration. I, there's just so much to look into with this. And, and I could be totally off. I could be totally off. But I can't help but feel like there is that bit of a personal aspect thrown into the story mixed with um, the biblical as well as the environmental aspects of it. I mean, I, I completely agree. I, I read it in several different ways. I, I agree with you that I think it's very much the an exploration of the author and muse, looking at how it is more or less inherently patriarchal, but at the same time, he thinks it's kind of necessary, but he still critiques it negatively because he's basically writing an abusive relationship on screen and using himself and his current girlfriend as a stand-in. And it's really weird to consider that fact. But you also have to remember, he had this written before uh, him and Jennifer Lawrence were a thing. Yeah, and that's why it's even more weird that they are now together (laughs) because, hmm, well, we got together as a result of making this bit of madness. Well, when has Jennifer Lawrence ever been normal? Uh, True enough. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's talk about Jennifer Lawrence in this. I'm very, very close to saying that I think this is her best performance. I would probably agree. I'm not as high on the Silver Linings playbook performance as a lot of other people, but then I'm also not as big of a fan of that movie in general. But this performance mixes so many different things in it because it requires hysteria. It requires physical acting that you don't often see. If I remember right, she actually um, messed up a rib and her diaphragm during filming because she had to hyperventilate so much through some of these chaotic scenes and just the level of performance that she's forced to give. Like a lot of people, I've actually read people who said that there's almost nothing to her performance because she doesn't get a whole lot of dialogue besides like, go away, stop it. What are you doing? Sort of thing. And I sort of see the point, but 
I think that ignores a lot of the physical acting that she's required to do for this. I mean, it's like though as if she got put through via Lars von Trier school of acting, where it's it's interesting because we see the amount of pain that she, you know, takes on in this film, and how much uh, distress uh, she has, and how much emotion she has to carry with her and it be, it gets to a point where it's uncomfortable and it's so much and we a lot of people will say like be, you know maybe because of sympathy oh my gosh they went through so much it was a, it was a truly brave and and great performance oh, oh you know and I don't know almost because I've seen horror films and you know this isn't like a straight up horror film by any means but I've seen horror films where I've seen actresses give very, very similar performances. And I'm having a tough time articulating what the difference is between uh, what Jennifer Lawrence did here and what someone like, um, I don't know, Carmen Ijogo in uh, It Comes at Night did. Let's uh, throw that comparison out there. Or Riley Keough in It Comes at Night. You know, it, it's it, they're. Very, very similar in many ways. And yes, I understand Jennifer Lawrence has more material written for her than those two other ladies did in that in that film. Uh, but they're, they're horror movie performances when you really, really think about it. Um, yes, it is. But I also think it, it's the circumstances of the performance because of the fact that she's given no room to breathe. She's hyperventilating while doing it is she though i mean that's a pretty big house i think the camera and the cinematography makes you think that because of how tight it is on her which which is actually amazing that you just said that because that was probably their intention was for us to feel that way about her well absolutely but then i i go back to that one scene i referenced earlier where somebody gets pummeled and like that is visceral filmmaking that you don't see like i, I there's a little bit of that and it comes at night but uh, there was nothing in It Comes at Night that bothered me nearly that much compared to that pummeling scene in Mother. Yeah. And there's another scene in Mother that bothered me even more than that, actually, to tell you the truth. Uh, it, those last 40 minutes are so intense. So, so intense. And I know some people, like I was saying uh, before, you know, there's just a wide variety of reactions to this movie. There are some people who thought the last 40 minutes were laughable. Like it, it just it just got to a point for them where, okay, like I'm not buying this anymore, or maybe their expectations were wrong. I don't know, but the, uh, there were people in my theater who could not stop laughing. Actually, to tell you the the horrific images that were on screen. It bothers me that 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 is the reaction. I, I guess I sort of understand it, but at the same time, I really don't. I think basically because with Aronofsky being the auteur that he is. I think he goes to such links in that third act as if to say, okay, you thought I couldn't top what I've already done. Now I'm going to prove you wrong. And I mean, that takes a lot of daring on his part to be able to go for it because in some ways you could argue it goes off the rails. I don't think it does. But I don't think thematically it does, at least. No, I don't either. I think it's perfectly congruent with a lot of the rest of the themes of the film and it's shocking, it's mesmerizing, and it's just plain weird. Yeah. Yeah, no, it totally is. Um, I, I read this really, really, really funny thing earlier online that somebody wrote and um, I kind of I want to 
uh, tell you what it was, actually, because I, I found it that amusing. It was a uh, piece of dialogue that was written on Reddit between uh, Darren Aronofsky uh, and the investors uh, for Mother, and it was Darren Aronofsky pitching the plot to them. So I'm going to just read this. I think this is, uh, I think this is pretty, pretty fantastic. It, it goes, Aronofsky says, I want to adapt a novel. The investors say, great, which book? The Bible. Okay. Which part? All of it. Well, wait, wait a minute. As a horror film. Well, wait, hold on, Darren. In a single location in two hours. What the fuck, Darren? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, he is a madman. He truly, truly is a madman. And I cannot believe that a major studio let him get away with what he got away with in this movie. I mean, you know what? I guess that just goes to show you because Noah made money. People seem to forget that. Noah actually made a made a profit. And I guess he had the freedom to do pretty much anything he wanted, especially when the investors for this film found out that Jennifer Lawrence was attached to it because she's, you know, a box office star. You know, this movie's going to make money because Jennifer Lawrence is tied to it. Not because of Darren Aronofsky. I mean, he certainly has his fans out there. But the more casual moviegoer is going to check this out because of Jennifer Lawrence. And God help that casual moviegoer who goes into this not knowing what to prepare for and thinking they're getting a horror film with Jennifer Lawrence. God help them. <laughs> I'm reminded of a tweet I saw earlier this morning from Matt Singer where he said that the, his favorite part of Mother is that people are going to go on dates to see this movie. First dates even. And that is his favorite part. <laughs> I'm like, yes. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, you know, before this movie came out, there was a lot of buzz about Michelle Pfeiffer. And I feel like anytime Michelle Pfeiffer is in a new movie, there's a lot of buzz about her. The internet seems to love her. Uh, what did you think of uh, the of Michelle Pfeiffer and uh, Ed Harris in this? I, so, firstly, if Jennifer Lawrence is the the standout player of this production, then Michelle Pfeiffer is number two, just behind her, because every scene she's in is so off putting and weird. Like you, you think that you understand this character, and then she says something completely inappropriate or out of the blue, and you're like, "Wait a minute, what?" And, and then you bring in Ed Harris as her husband, and you're not sure what his deal is either, although he's not quite as off-putting as Michelle Pfeiffer is. But both of them together, and the fact that they just won't leave the house, and you're immediately suspicious, and you completely sympathize with Jennifer Lawrence, and you're irritated with Javier Bardem, but at the same time, I want both Harris and Pfeiffer still on screen because that means there's more looniness that's to come. I hear you on that one. Um... I thought Michelle Pfeiffer was uh, fantastic in this, but her performance was a bit diluted for me um, when other actors started appearing in the film and they were giving very similar performances uh, as her. That off-putting, um, rude, uh, you know, nature that she was giving off where she was just simply ignoring uh, the pleas of Jennifer Lawrence and doing whatever she wanted, that was being done tenfold um, as the movie went on by other characters and it kind of actually made her role uh, stand out less to me as a result. So I, I do see what you're saying there. I think why Pfeiffer's performance still holds up for me is because of what her dialogue involves. It is so directly connected to the themes of the movie 
that you get that a little bit from those other characters you mentioned, but I think hers, because there's more of it and it's more direct and it really sets up what's to come. It still holds up at least for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's totally fair. I understand that. Uh, I thought Ed Harris, uh, was, you know, Ed Harris was Ed Harris, which is not a bad thing. Uh, he does have a crying scene in the movie, which, you know, it was very, I actually was moved by it, to tell you the truth, because I, I, I really did feel uh, the raw pain that he was feeling. Javier Bardem uh, was very good in this, I felt like, but I could not help but shake uh, the fact that I felt that it was still very odd casting. You could have had any uh, male that was twice the age of Jennifer Lawrence in this role, um, but yet Darren Aronofsky chose Bardem. And I I don't know, something about it for me, like their chemistry uh, just never seemed to really click. And I don't, I, I don't know I why. I don't know that they're necessarily supposed to have chemistry. Oh, maybe, that, maybe, maybe that's it then. Maybe, well, maybe it is deliberate. Well, because that's part of the point, is that she's the inspiration who's drawn to him. She can't get rid of him. She can't leave him. And yet she absolutely needs to because he's clearly abusing her yeah. emotionally and to a lesser extent physically. So I... Yeah, you're sort of right that it doesn't really matter who was playing him, but I think Bardem's charm makes you wonder what the heck's going on with him. And then, uh, yeah, I don't think there's really necessarily supposed to be that much chemistry. Enough to say that, okay, I could see why one person would be drawn to the other and vice versa, but not enough to say that, oh, we're this wonderfully happy couple living out here in the middle of nowhere in this old but pretty looking house yeah um i mentioned before the sound work in this movie i think is uh for me might be actually my favorite aspect of the film overall i thought the sound in this movie was incredible and really really intricate and very detailed uh something that you don't normally see a lot of in films but this was very, 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 very important in helping to establish the mood of the film. And apparently Johan Johansson, who did the score for this film, questionable because I don't think there is a score for this film, uh, he apparently had a hand in the sound work. So if that's if that's what he did for his contribution to this film, uh, bravo to him because, oh my God, this film sounded incredible. So what I've read is that Johansson was involved in doing the score at first, but then when they went back and saw the film with the score in it, they realized it would work better without a score, and so they just completely left a score off of the film entirely. That's crazy, because, you know, now he's not scoring uh, Blade Runner 2049 anymore. The guy's having a bad year. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, given the result that we've got in Mother, I, I, okay, I feel bad that he lost a job, but at the same time, the result artistically is spot on, and I completely agree. The sound design and sound mixing is just absolutely astounding in this movie, and I think combined with Matthew Liebetik's cinematography, just creates an atmosphere that's unlike almost anything I've seen this year. Yeah, no, definitely. It's by far uh, one of the most original and unique films to come out, um, so much so that I really kind of wanted to do well at the box office simply because um, it's films like these that need to be released in order to buck the trend of sequels and franchises and so on and so forth. It's like, you know, everybody always complains all the time about those kinds of films being released. And, you know, I'm going to bring it up again because it's one of my favorite films of the year. But It Comes at Night 
was an original film that you know was good but because of poor marketing uh audiences just turned away to it but i'm hoping that that's a film that, get, that gets rediscovered now here we are again where the studio is marketing this a certain way they're advertising it as a horror film like a home invasion horror film if anything and it's totally not that at all oh my lord it is not that at all there there aren't really any jump scares in this movie this movie is uncomfortable it is tense it is disturbing my god is it disturbing and i will have nightmares about this movie for probably as long as i live uh more more than likely i can i cannot even imagine what some people with certain traumas in their life um Going into this, not knowing what to expect, I can only imagine what they must experience while watching this movie. I, 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 I can't even. Um, I'm dying to talk about some of the spoilers and get deeper into some of the themes of this movie. Uh, do you have any final thoughts that you want to give to us on Mother? Um, so I guess first I have to say congrats to Mother for being weirder than films I've seen this year about a cannibal veterinary student Anne Hathaway is a kaiju monster and a horrible horror musical hybrid about carnivorous mermaids in 1980s Poland. This somehow is weirder than all of those, and I didn't think that was possible. <laughs> and I also have to give a shout out to our friend and fellow team member Josh Tarpley because his devotion to this film on Twitter has been inspirational and hilarious and awesome. So props to him. He's going to be very disappointed come Oscar night. I could tell him that much. <laughs> yeah, well. Um, I can say that based upon the Oscar potential that this film may or may not have, Oh, man, it's tough. I would say, if anything, its surest bet at a nomination it are the two sound categories. I would agree with the sound category. I Well, okay, so firstly, if it were up to me, it would be almost every category um, other than musical score because there isn't one. Um, I do agree that I think sound design and sound mixing are the most likely. Cinematography is not mm, entirely impossible. I don't impossible. think so. Not likely, but not impossible. I think this. I think this film's best day. It's like its best chances are Jennifer and the two sound categories. I I can't see them going for it in editing. I can't see anyone else in the cast getting anywhere close to it. Darren Aronofsky as a lone director would be amazing, but it's never going to happen because I'm telling you, so many people are going to be turned off by what happens in that third act. So many people. I don't disagree with you. Like I said, if it were up to me, it would be almost everything. But I think most likely sound, maybe cinematography, maybe production design, maybe no actress. way for production design. No way. I mean, that house, the whole film takes place in that house. Jennifer Lawrence never leaves the house. And we're always with Jennifer Lawrence. So, I mean, that house is definitely very important. Don't get me wrong. But Matthew Lipatique's cinematography hurts us from being able to actually appreciate the details that might be in that house because we never get wide shots enough to really appreciate it. Mm, fair enough. So I, I still stand by Lawrence and the two uh, sound categories. I, I really think that that is its best day. If it does anything more than that, it's a miracle. That's fair. Alrighty. What score are you giving, Mother? <laughs> so I don't know if it's a first for this year on this podcast, but I'm going Ty Dillinger and giving it a perfect 10. 
And if you're listening to this and you got that reference, you're awesome. I did. It was a, a, a perfect 10. Ty Dillinger. Oh, my God. I can't believe you actually said that. <laughs> uh, man, that was pretty cool, actually. I, I'm doing the reference, by the way, with my hands as, as we speak. <laughs> Me too. Anyways, anyways, um, I can't give it a 10. I can't. I don't expect many people to give it a 10. I know I'm out there on this, but this movie just grabbed me in such a way that I just, I, I can't give it anything. There's just, there's so much to it in terms of performance, in terms of camera work, sound, the house, and all of these different thematic elements that are layered and interwoven within the story that I, I just, I, I cannot believe that I've seen something this daring, this crazy, and just this weirdly fun. So you're you're still kind of slightly new to the podcast. Maybe I can clue you in a little bit on how the rating system works a little bit from oh, I, from my point of view. I know I'm I'm aware that you don't do that that often, and I know I'm kind of breaking. Tradition. Well, but the reason why I don't do the tens that often is because I like to only give tens when I know that this is a film that we're going to be talking about 20 years from now, and we're still going to regard it as a masterpiece of cinema. And that's very, very tough to judge right away, instantly, when you first see a film. Sometimes, instinctually, you know it. And I can tell you this about Mother. I can tell you that I know for a fact we're going to be talking about this movie 20 years from now. I know this. And I know that we're going to look back on Darren Aronofsky's filmography and we're going to look back at him as one of the masters of, uh, of our age. You know, he's got this filmography that is just so, so impressive and so interesting and very, very layered. Um, he's, he's a filmmaker that's going to be studied for sure. The reason I can't give it a 10 is out of respect for all of those people that hated it for the reasons that, like I said before, I, I may not agree with it, but I totally understand where they're coming from, and I don't think that their opinion is actually invalid. I cannot tell them that they are wrong, because they're not wrong. They are not in the wrong for thinking that this movie is truly horrible, um, that it's just no no point to it whatsoever other than to shock us and to disturb us. I totally, totally get it. And I could forever explain to them the reasons why I think this film is great and they will not listen to me because of one or two scenes that do occur in this movie that forever, forever, forever put a black stain on this film. Out of respect for those people, it is a 9 out of 10 for me because, I mean, it. I, I, I you know... I don't want to disregard those uh, those voices out there. So, in my heart, it's probably a ten. <laughs> but I'm I'm sticking. But I am sticking with the nine. I I, mm. I am. And I'm perfectly fine. Like I, you won't hear any argument from me. I, yeah. I, like I said, it's, that's my rating. That's what I think. But everyone is entitled to their opinion. It's definitely uh, one of the most original films I've seen, and it is something that I clamor for continuously from cinema. So. Man, just kudos, 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 kudos to Darren Aronofsky. Are you ready, sir, to talk spoilers? Bring it. Okay. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! All right, so now we are talking spoilers about Darren Aronofsky's film Mother. If you are still listening to this point in the podcast and you have not seen Mother, then, well, I don't know what else to tell you. But for those that are still listening... Uh, let's talk about the film in more detail here. So, on the surface, Jennifer Lawrence 
loves Javier Bardem. Javier Bardem loves her. Javier Bardem is a writer. Jennifer Lawrence has built this house from the ground up. She has reshapen it. Uh, it had previously burnt down, and Javier Bardem has this uh, crystal. I think it's like a crystal of some sort uh, with this like weird glow factor to it. I, I don't really know if that was like something that everybody could see or only Jennifer Lawrence saw, but... It's a piece uh, of um, of the old house that he has kept all this time. He has it on display. And at one point in the movie, Michelle Pfeiffer brings uh, Ed Harris uh, upstairs and they go into the forbidden room and they touch it and it breaks. And this causes uh, Javier Bardem to be extremely pissed off. This is all a metaphor for Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. Because think about it for a minute. When Ed Harris is with Javier Bardem in the bathroom and he's throwing up and he's completely butt naked and he has that wound on his side, that's his rib. And from Adam's rib, Eve was born. And what happens the next day? Eve, aka Michelle Pfeiffer, enters the house. Okay? So now she's a part of this world, this world of this house. And she's the one who is bringing about temptation. We see that she uh, even puts her hand on Javier Bardem at one point. We see that she is, um, you know, really, really questioning um, the, uh, the, I don't want to say like pregnancy, but like uh, why they don't have kids, I guess. Uh, Her, uh, Jennifer Lawrence and uh, Javier Bardem. And then um, Michelle Pfeiffer touches the forbidden fruit, as it were, breaks it, and brings about uh, God's wrath. And I think Javier Bardem is supposed to be God in this case. So if this whole movie is a retelling of the Bible, you know, then you figure the two sons, Domino Gleason and the other son who come in later on in the film, that's Cain and Abel. You know, and Cain kills Abel. So that's pretty obvious as well. You know, and then you think about some other uh, images in this movie. You think about the sink breaking and the water leaking and how that's probably uh, representing Noah and the great flood and how all the people are then drawn away from the house once this happens, right? Then the people come back. There are wars. There's chaos. Everybody is like ripping each other apart. And then this baby is born and everybody is calm. The baby is meant to be Jesus. And then God presents Jesus to the world and gives him up to everyone. And what do the people do? They kill the baby. They kill Jesus. And then they drink the blood and the body of Christ. Fuck me. (laughs) (laughs) I love this movie. (laughs) It's so insane. Oh, my God. Oh, man. And then, then, Mother, in this case, many people have interpreted Mother, um, Jennifer Lawrence, to be codenamed for Mother Earth. And how the world that she has created is being destroyed by us, humans. And how God, a.k.a. Javier Bardem, doesn't really care. You know, he's kind of like, you know what? I made you people, you know, I want your love. 
And if you guys want to do this, go right ahead. I ain't going to step in and stop it. You do what you want. You do what you want to do, basically. You know, he doesn't seem to show any kind of, uh, you know, care in the matter, uh, especially when it comes to uh, Jennifer Lawrence and her plea. So then people are trying to tell me because I was talking to somebody after uh, the film, actually, a friend of mine on our way out. My friend was uh, telling me about how the blood stain on the floor represents like the piercing of the earth and how we're draining it of uh, of of its like life force, the uh, the oil, as it were, because there's a blood stain and it's the blood of the earth and how she, you know, drips the oil at the end and lights it on fire. And, you know, the whole earth is then consumed and everything is destroyed. And what happens when God destroys the earth? he then remakes it again. You know what I mean? And the whole world kind of just starts over. Just as it did in the biblical days, it will again for us as well, for humanity. Now, what do you think of these interpretations here? I mean, do do any of them sound accurate to you? I mean, this this was one, uh, the idea of the, of the earth was one that my friend had told me walking out, and the religious one was one that I had just quickly uh, read online that really made sense when you broke it down. No, I'm in a complete agreement. I, I think it is both the the religious metaphors with the Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel story. I also think it is the earth and how badly humans are treating it. I also think that, okay, on a surface level, you have, I've mentioned this before, the artist and muse idea where Jennifer Lawrence is the muse and Javier Bardem is the artist and he needs the muse, but the muse doesn't necessarily want to be there, but she's trapped by him and she's trapped herself with him. And it's just all of these interlocking ideas. And I think all of them are equally valid and all of them are equally true. And he's just managed to weave them all together in a coherent, if maddeningly insane tapestry now i i would give money if i could watch a youtube reaction video of rachel vice watching this film (laughs) i think that would be incredible because as i said before in our review i can't help but feel like this there is a bit of that in here you know some of the dialogue that javier bardem says to jennifer lawrence um about how all he wants is her love and how, you know, she doesn't respect his work and she just doesn't understand, uh, you know, the admiration that, you know, his followers have for him and how hard it is for him as an artist and so on and so forth. And I'm not advocating for that, you know, type of behavior here or anything like that. And I'm not just because I glorify Aronofsky's work and I'm making this parallel doesn't mean I think that it's okay if this was a somewhat abusive relationship. I'm, I'm not saying that because I'm telling you, this is a very, very you know flimsy interpretation at best, but I, I can't disregard it. You know, I could even make an argument that the crystal at the end of the movie, because there is a new crystal that forms, and what does it form from? It forms from... Javier Bardem ripping Jennifer Lawrence open, ripping out her heart, her actual heart, and the heart becomes the new crystal which brings life into the house, a.k.a. the world. Now, if you want to look at it as Darren Aronofsky's world, that new crystal could be interpreted as being his new muse in Jennifer Lawrence. It could be interpreted as being maybe a new film that he was finally able to write. Maybe the crystal represents this film. 
And maybe this film is the film that re-energized his world after his wife left him and they got their divorce. And, you know, now he's back. You know, Aronofsky has found his creative mojo again. You know, Hey, <laughs> I, I, people are probably listen to me. And they're probably like, yo, you're crazy, man. You, you need you need to calm down. But, I, you know, this is the kind of talk where we're only scratching the surface of it. I'm sure there's going to be countless essays when people have had time to really think about this. You know, we're, we're, you're, you're just getting my gut reaction only, what, an hour after seeing the film? And you saw it uh, yesterday. This is not enough time to give a fully, fully detailed account of what Mother has to bring. I, I think it just ha- it does have a lot of layers to it that do need to be dissected. Um, and I, I actually, going back to your question as to whether or not it's about Daranofsky himself, I tend to think that it is because I, I think that he's the sort of auteur who would say that, yes, I am this awesome, but at the same time, I am both in awe of myself and afraid of myself at the same time. And I think you can get that in the film as well. And I think a lot of people are trying to make it to where this film, like there's only one way to interpret it or, and something like that. I think it's all of the above when you list all these different interpretations. And I think he's just put them all in there and made them all work together. And that's why I'm so in awe of this film is that he's done so much thematically that in the hands of even a slightly less talented filmmaker could fall apart. Yeah, definitely. Um, there are some things that happen in the third act that are questionable. The breaking of the baby's neck is not questionable because if that is a direct interpretation of um, humanity killing uh god's only son then i understand it i get it okay they could they consume his flesh and his blood afterwards i i get it oh god um (laughs) moving on from that what i don't necessarily get and maybe you can help me out here the the scene where jennifer lawrence does get viciously beat up by everybody And then she, before that, also has the scene where um, Javier Bardem is waiting for her to fall asleep so he can snatch the baby. This is is a film that teeters a very, very fine line um, with Aaron Aronofsky writing his screenplay in a way that can be interpreted that he hates women. Well, so what I'll say to that is... His screenplays in the past have often dealt with women who are placed in terrible situations because of the expectations of society and society typically being represented by men. For example, Black Swan, it's the choreographer who's a major creep and who's trying to push her to become the Black Swan in order to become the greatest ballerina yeah, alive. Or in his opinion and approval is the only thing that matters to her. But he also 
very obviously points out that the men who are doing this are monsters who are not good. And so in some ways he's chastising himself if what he's saying is that men are these horrible creatures who treat women badly. So I, I don't necessarily think that he is saying that um, women deserve suffering. I think he's saying that women suffer and that in this case men are the ones who are inflicting the suffering upon them. Mm. So it's not just a simple way of saying women suffer in general, like biologically speaking, you know, and then and and then also through childbirth, you know, that form of suffering. No, I don't think it's that general. Okay, okay, you know that's fair. Um, I know that no matter how much we try to dissect it, and no matter how much we try to talk about it, um, there are some listening or maybe not listening at this point <laughs> you, you know probably not listening at this point because they just hate this movie so much um you know they've they already have their minds made up uh, you know that's that's really all i'll say about it if, if you think that this movie um is a film that hates on women and you know brutalizes and victimizes uh, jennifer lawrence um all out of a very very sick and twisted idea from darren aronofsky's own head that meant nothing other than to shock us and horrify us um, I, I can't argue with you on it. Um, I can't argue with you. And I can't ever try to convince you otherwise because I know that your mind is made up. Simple as that. You know, the, and and the imagery here is so striking and it's so intense that it is something that stays with you and it's unforgettable. There are people who have seen this movie who even like it and have vowed that they're never going to see it again. That's how much power this movie holds with its images here. So if you had a negative reaction from those images, then, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not here to judge you. No, I'm not going to judge either because everyone's entitled to their opinion. I won't necessarily agree with them, but they are free to have their opinion as they like. Now. Anything else that you want to comment on while we have the uh, spoilers open here in terms of the themes, uh, messages of the movie, any symbolism, any questions, actually, that you have? Well, I could throw a grenade that uh, critiques three other films that I think are similar in tone and content to this movie that I think this film does better, being A Cure for Wellness, Crimson Peak, and Monster House. Oh. Um. I could probably get some flack on that, especially with Crimson Peak, because I know there are people who absolutely love Del Toro's ghost horror-ish thing from a couple years ago. I wasn't a fan personally, but just there, there's so many layers, and I've said this before, there are so many layers to this movie that I I, I am blown away that there, that we, and we've said it before, that there is a studio that released this, that Aronofsky was creative enough to put all these things together to make them work, that he assembled a cast that was willing to go through all of this madness, that he had a technical team that was able to pull off all these intricate camera movements and this terrifyingly creepy sound. This, for me, like if this doesn't show up in my top 10 at the end of the year, I will be very surprised. Because I I love this movie immensely. Okay. All right. Uh, what questions do I have? Do I have any questions? I do have one question, actually. The streaks that she makes on the walls early on in the film, the different colored streaks, do you remember this part? Yeah. 
Do you think that that was supposed to represent anything? I'm sure it is, but I, I can't figure it out myself. No, I'm not sure what that would be. I mean, if it was different colors or like more than just, okay, different shades of like sepia. Yeah, okay, maybe, but they're very similar. And yeah, I'm, I'm not totally sure what that's supposed to be. But like, well, I mean, it's, it's like an earthen color. So maybe it's a further representation of the whole the house is the earth mm. metaphor, maybe. No, yeah, that's a good one. I, I, that could be it. Uh, that could definitely be it. The other one I have here as well is, uh, did you happen to catch what was the thing that was in the toilet? If it was the heart, if it was the fetus? When I saw it, I thought it was a heart. Okay, because I did too. All right. Because I, I, there were some people who were confused on it. And to tell you the truth, I was a little bit as well. Um, I saw this movie pretty up close. I wasn't far away looking at the screen when I saw it. So um, my entire vision was taken up by the screen. And as a result, I might have maybe missed some details. I'm not exactly sure. Um, I'm sure if I go back and rewatch the chaos in the final 40 minutes, I'm sure there are things happening in like the background that I definitely didn't pick up on the first time. I'm sure there's some wacky shit happening. There's, there's and can we bring up the fact that Kristen Wiig manages to come in here out of nowhere? And we're like, wait a minute, Kristen Wiig? What are you doing here? Yeah, and then didn't she aim and goffs her way uh, through this film where she just starts executing people with headshots left and right? <laughs> that was insane. I know. Like, what like, the fuck was going on? <laughs> it's like, Aronofsky, you've taken a comedic actress and given her this very, very weird role. What are you doing? Uh, hey, man, only, only, only God knows. A.K.A. Aronofsky, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, even saying Jesus feels weird right now. Um, <laughs> alrighty. Very, very cool. Any final thoughts? Keep saying it. I love this movie. It's amazing. I want to see this again, honestly. like I may go back sometime during this week and go back and check it out. And It's a movie that I think is better served by seeing it with a bunch of people because just some of the reactions that you're going to get from being in an audience adds to the uh, sensation of the film i think did anybody uh leave your theater not that i recall okay because i i did have uh two walkouts in mind understandable yeah no it totally is <laughs> once again and you know it's funny because i can't recommend this movie to people either um on my way home i took an uber to get home and uber guy i was like i was like oh yeah i was at the movies he's like what'd you see oh i saw this movie mother and he's like oh how was it man and i was like yeah don't go see it <laughs> i meant that like in the <laughs> nicest way because i'm only gonna recommend this movie to other cinephiles a, a casual stranger or somebody who i know in my life that's not a cinephile i can't recommend they watch this movie because they're gonna just think that i'm incredibly fucked up for making them see this movie <laughs> possibly although i mean uh. I I wonder if this could ever fit into some sort of religious studies class. No, no, no. Now, now, now you're absolutely insane. No way. Well, I mean, we've already known that. But. Yeah, no, but that's <laughs> that's that's no. I, I went to Catholic high. I went to Catholic high school and Catholic middle school and Catholic grade school. Okay, there's no way that this would ever be shown. <laughs> in I'm thinking university books. here. Yeah, even if this was a G-rated edited version for YouTube, there's no way that this would be released. <laughs> no well, way. Maybe in university. Okay. I, I don't know many Catholic <laughs> universities, but... <sighs> All right. Matthew Garrell, where can they find you on the internet? I am at NovaMG7 on Twitter, and I'm a reviews and podcast contributor for Next Best Picture. 
And you can find me at Next Best Picture on all of the social media networks. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening to our review and spoiler discussion of Mother! Exclamation point. One final question, actually. Hey, you know what? I've never done this before. I've never been in, in the middle of my outro and then had to come back in. But now just saying that exclamation point, I need to ask you, what the hell does that even mean? Why do you think that's in the title? <laughs> because it's Aronofsky and because he can. <laughs> <laughs> Let's leave um, it at that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's a declaration that um, children who are suffering might make. And so... That kind of parallels some of the imagery and themes within the film. The cry out for Mother Earth or Mother Mary or Motherfucker or whatever you want to add to it, basically. Or, okay, you had the, the Cain and Abel metaphor. So, again, it's a, a child crying out for their parent. Sure. So, like, I think it's all of them, honestly. I, I keep saying that. I think all of these different things are true and accurate and in the movie. Yeah, I really wish I knew what uh, Javier Bardem's uh, poem said. Just just throwing it out there. As Actually, a yeah, I would be curious to see that too. You know what it was? It was it was the screenplay from Mother. <laughs> <laughs> Aronofsky's like, well, I got it. <laughs> I got it. God has returned to cinema. <laughs> And there's actually a scene in the background where they take the original copy and it's like framed and they put it on a, on a, um, a pole and carry it around. It's almost like the Ark of the Covenant for them. Jesus Christ. (laughs) You know, we haven't even gotten into the fact that there are, uh, 10 plagues in the movie. Um, you know, with the frogs and the blood and. (laughs) I love Darren Aronofsky in this movie. (laughs) Uh, we all love Darren Aronofsky. Okay, okay, all right. Enough about Mother. Everybody, uh, this has been a this has been a quite a lengthy breakdown here, and everybody's probably tired of us rambling on and on and on about this film. So, with that said, thank you so much for listening to this review spoiler section of Mother! Exclamation point. You can subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, Player FM, and Castbox. Be sure to throw us a review on iTunes. We would really, really love to hear your feedback and certainly will appreciate it. And as always, we will see you all next time. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.